Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to Jesus and he will give you rest. Isn't that the greatest invitation? Are you weary of life? Are you weighted down with responsibilities and problems? Is every waking breath a troubled one? W.B. Yeats, the great Irish poet and mystic, wrote, Can one reach God by toil? He gives himself to the pure in heart. He asks nothing but our attention. The way to know God is not by mental search or hard work, but by giving attention to Jesus Christ, for in him we see what God is like. In these verses, Jesus says, My burden is light. As a rabbi had it, my burden has become my song. That doesn't mean that the burden has been lifted or become easy, but that it's laid upon me with love, to be carried in love. When what you do with love, even the heaviest burden, is light. When we remember the love of God, when we know that our burden is to love God and to love men, then that burden becomes a song. There's an old story which tells how a man came upon a little boy carrying a still smaller boy, who was lame, upon his back. That's a heavy burden for you to carry, said the man. That's not a burden, came the answer. That's my little brother. The burden which is given in love and carried in love is always light. And what about the easy yoke that Jesus promises? A yoke is custom made for an ox, so that when he wears it, it fits well, snugly and comfortably. So with Jesus' proffered yoke. In William Barclay's words, The life Jesus gives me is not a burden to gall me. It is made to measure me to fit me. Whatever God sends us is made to fit our needs and our abilities exactly. Thank you, Lord. Hello. Welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm here to dispel any preconceived ideas you may have about what educating your children at home looks like. It can be straightforward school or no school at all. It can involve world travel or a comfy seat on the couch. It can be in pursuit of passions or simply hanging out in a tree. Homeschooling can be embarked upon for a number of reasons, too. A physically challenged child or parent, the threat of bullies and overwhelming peer pressure, a particularly brilliant child who is bored in kindergarten, a conflict in religious teachings, maybe, a desire for the family closeness missing in your upbringing. For me, it's a lifestyle that suits the maverick lurking within. I wanted to be the one who saw the light bulbs go on. I wanted to be there at turning points in my children's lives. I didn't want to hand them over to folk who are not their mother, and I wanted to make my own decisions about how to raise my children. On my show, I've spoken to a wide range of homeschooling mothers, fathers and graduates who find educational opportunities everywhere and thrive. I've moved in and out of my comfort zone. God and children will do that. I've gained insights and delights that I'm happy to share with you. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy, and sometimes a roller coaster. But for me, it starts and ends with God. The beauty of year-round calves in the pasture, birdsong breaking the silence, the scent of orange blossom on the air, a starry night out in the middle of nowhere, the happy clinking of lines on a sailboat, a serious hug or an earth-moving crash of thunder to wake me up. If you pop by, I'll offer you a cup of Tetley tea and some cantaloupe, which is so sweet, to tickle your taste buds, and thank you for staying. I'm broadcasting live from Turkey Creek in Florida, and after the first break, I'll be talking to Dr. Terry Feitz, the homeschooling doctor who is first and foremost mum to her three girls. Stay and hear her story as we talk about careers, nutrition, and alternative medicine. I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNinnies, where we're halfway through our house-sitting assignment. Writing is taking a serious hold. A special birthday is coming up. The dogs went to the local groomers, and I look back on driving permits and my children. Nothing but excitement in this sleepy little place. Are you ready? 
This is a big weekend coming up for my oldest daughter, whom I call Perry Poppins because she loves working with children of all ages and abilities. It's her birthday, and although she's working on the day, Monday, she has plans for the weekend. So happy birthday and be safe. I wish we could be there with you, and don't open the parcel coming your way with oodles of love. Not yet, anyway. No word on what we're to do with the septic tank situation, which is a great topic to be broaching while I'm eating cantaloupe. Sorry, the city's come out and made a verdict. In the meantime, everything is a okay, and I'm ready to get the grass back over the stone and safely hidden away. There's a shower and bathroom downstairs in the shop, which my blue-eyed cowboy likes to use. The shop, that is, not the toilet. He says the toilet reminds him of the public lavatories in Bromley, where we lived in London, so he won't use it. There are some differences that I pointed out. I cleaned it. I don't clean the public one. There isn't a shower in the public loo, or blue towels, or fancy soap. He says it's the blue cement floor. The weather this week has been fierce, radiantly hot when the sun's out, as if I were on a beach with no haze to dilute their strength. And then when a storm blows in, it cools down about twenty degrees, which is so pleasant. The dogs, though, are walking around in their heavy coats, and no matter how cool the breeze, they still pant and patter on the wood floors, looking for the coolest spot, which at the moment is my office, because the overhead fan is excellent at spinning really fast, and it sends. Chills down my back. The big dog lies under that one. The little one lies next to the small oscillating fan, enjoying its intermittent blasts of cooth. This week, we decided to take them to the groomers to relieve them of their heavy coats. They were gone a few hours, and when we went to pick them up, they were both pounds lighter and very happy. The groomer had a lovely black standard poodle, groomed very prettily and standing tall. She looked like a Sophia. I didn't ask what her name was. She was very calm. I wonder how much she likes her owner's job. She gets to meet lots of canines. I was walking along this morning, and I often think when I get up before the birds are awake, or the dogs even, what if it's raining? But it never is. The, this morning it was so damp out that the mist covered the end of the road, and it was lovely and cool. Not for long, though. By the time I was on my way back after a couple of miles, it had started to warm up. Anyway, on my way back to the stilt house, I looked in one of the fields and saw what appeared to be isometric dandelions when they'd become fairy clocks. I looked closer because they were all over the field and decided they were fluffy tops to long blades of grass, similar to feathers. I stopped to see if I could capture the film on. The sight on film, well, on digital camera, and I saw them differently again. This time, like spun sugar swaying on the top of the grass, or filigree silver, delicate and transparent and fragile. And there were hundreds of them. I leant a- a- against the fence to steady my iPhone, and I saw that they were, of course, scores of tiny spider webs covering the field. The webs had beads of dew on them, making them sparkle in the early sun. If nature that lasts for just a moment, because any minute a, cow, a herd of cows could come trampling through and knock them all down, or maybe later a heavy rain, then how much more awesome are we? God's all over His creation. When I pulled away from the fence, I found some delicately spun webs spanning the gaps between the crossboards. I hope my photos give an idea of the exquisite beauty I beheld. Even if they don't, I'll work on my words to better draw a picture of what I gazed upon this morning while walking. My two neatly clipped dogs, tongues out from the exertion, they were ready to lie down and rest their weary paws near some fans. And with that, I need to go on a really short break. And、uh, when I come back, I'll be talking to Dr. Terry Fites. So don't go far. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski, a live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon, starting at three, two central on Toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework. Knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. 
For more on Mark and the show, check out MarkLepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Levinsky. Wednesday afternoon, starting at 3, 2 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. This afternoon, I'm thrilled to have Dr. Terry Feitz as my guest. Terry is a medical doctor who chose to leave her career to become a full-time, stay-at-home homeschooling mum. How's that for busting the stereotype? She's been married to her high school sweetheart, also a physician, for 17 years, and they have three girls with another one on the way, sex as yet unrevealed. Dr. Terry graduated first with her pharmacy degree from St. Louis College of Pharmacy, then with her medical degree from Indiana University School of Medicine. Terry has become convinced of the remarkable, yet ignored by conventional medicine, role of nutrition and environment in health. She shares what she has learned on her blog, The Homeschooling Doctor. Dr. Feitz, welcome to my show. Thanks, Vivian. It's great to be here. So you um, had this career as a doctor, and you decided that you wanted to stay at home with your, your girls and that you wanted to homeschool them, and your husband encouraged you because he said, as long as you're happy, then we'll all be happy. So how has your decision affected your marriage? It has been a true blessing for our marriage. Um, it's been great for it. I think that we respect and appreciate each other's strengths more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brandon's mom always worked outside of the home. And I think that when he got married, um, he had, that's how he expected it to be. And as we started having children, then, um, he started changing his views Mm -hmm. and, um, he became to appreciate more. And I came to appreciate more how much work it is just to run the household smoothly and pay the bills and, um, get things done, get to errands and doctor's appointments so he came to appreciate those things. So did I. Mm-hmm. And then I came to appreciate more just his ability to be able to come home from work and to shut it off and spend time with us. And I think he could do that, though, because he knew that the home front was being taken care of. Yeah. So he didn't have to fret too much about it. Yeah. So it's just a real symbiotic relationship for us. And, you know, I find that men are very good at doing that. They can compartmentalize areas of their lives that we can't do if something's going wrong in one part yeah in one part of our lives it affects everything that we do and so that does bring home a, a real appreciation for for your husband when you see how well they can do that yes because I could not do that and yeah. that that was part of the reason that we evolved to the situation we're at today well and you started by homeschooling and still working part-time yes. Uh-huh, tell us about tell us how that was how that worked. It worked out okay in the beginning because my uh, I only had one that I was homeschooling at the time and she was in kindergarten and I feel like in kindergarten it was just a lot of fun mm-hmm. and we could sing songs and read books and do crafts and learn our letters and numbers that way and it wasn't that bad we could squeeze that into three days three afternoons and be okay. And then uh, she pushed up into first and second grade, and then I had another one to homeschool along with that. It didn't work out very well. Um, You could just feel the time crunch. You could feel we weren't accomplishing accomplishing what we needed to accomplish, and um, I wasn't getting the things done at home. Bills bills would fall through the cracks every now and then and um, be late. And, you know, we don't like that. That's frustrating. Mm Mm-hmm. You show up, embarrass- how embarrassing, you show up to a doctor's appointment on the wrong day or the wrong time, and you just do, okay, this is not working for us. So um, you could feel the, the, the frustration and the stress and absent-mindedness increase through the years as schooling required more time, mm-hmm. and yet work was still um, still there. Yeah. So what did you do on the, on the few days that you worked? What did you do with your children? We are very lucky. Um, we had in my in-laws lived in South Carolina, mm-hmm. and so they would actually drive up and stay with us. Um, 
overnight because I would try to plan my shift so that I would do two to three days in a row mm-hmm. so that um, they could come and spend the night mm-hmm. and then in a chunk of time. And then they would um, go back to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where they live um, about an hour and a half away. That's great. That's it great. was great. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, the grandparents didn't really get to be grandparents because they were being babysitters and no is not a popular word for grandparents. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> it was hard because they were put in a bad situation. Yeah. We did try having a nanny and um, there was a couple things there. Um, with homeschooling, I would leave some worksheets, not expecting the nanny to help with the worksheets. Mm-hmm. The, the worksheets weren't even presented to the child. She didn't even give them to the child at all for whatever reason. So with homeschooling, it didn't work out very well. Right. And then um, as far as the grandparents went, they got to be grandparents again, but yet they weren't around so much because I was working. Mm-hmm. So um, the grandparents was the best situation for us versus the nanny. Yeah, yeah. All right, just- Terry, when, when you first came home and um, decided that you weren't going to work at all, you said you had a whole um, new... Um, view on, you know, the running of a household, how how complex that is, how demanding it is to run a household, be a wife, be a mom, keep everything flowing really well. And yet a lot of women who have careers feel that when they stay at home, they're doing themselves a disservice or they're taking several steps backwards because it's not considered a real job. Well, what's your real job? People not, ask. You know, no. so, and how 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 did you um, come to terms with that? Because you said it turned out to be, you know, a really demanding job, it, and yes. your your um, you, you know, your self confidence and and I, how you felt about yourself. I did. I had an identity crisis. Yes. <laughs> and luckily, my husband understood that and 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 knew that that is a challenging position. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd get things in the mail and they'd be addressed to um, Dr. and Mrs. Fights. And, and, and that's okay. And, and that wouldn't have bothered me before. But when all of a sudden that that was a platform you were on and it's pulled out from underneath your feet, um, it's challenging. And then um, it was also tough to go out in, in public. And then because um, we had moved from the time that I worked to the time that I didn't. And everybody recognizes your husband as a doctor. And and so they always come up to him in the supermarket or the restaurant and um, church and, and they're talking to him. And, and you're just kind of standing there smiling in <laughs> the position of doctor's wife, which um, has a, a whole new connotation in your mind. So it was really hard and it required a lot of self-talk and just saying that just because that's how the world measures worth is what you do. That is not what my worth is. My worth is um, just how how much I love my family and how much they love me and we respect each other. And how am I giving in a way that I feel called to give? Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, the, when when you went to the doctor or when you go to a doctor's office, they ask. Um, they always ask what you do. And I said, well, and then she looked at me and she said, do you stay home? And I said, well, yeah, I do. And you want to add on there, but I'm a doctor. And, <laughs> uh, but that just sounds so groping and grasping. And uh-huh. so you just, I just had to, I just had to accept that I'm still a medical doctor mm-hmm. and I can go back to work anytime that I choose to. And, but this is the choice that I am making now. And, we ha- I am happier now and I have more peace now than I did before. Mm-hmm. And so this is what it took to get me there. And I have to let go of what the world thinks and, and just really start thinking about what Terry and God thinks. Yeah, yeah. Well, my husband and I have raised all our children and we're now going through this crisis of empty nest. And uh, I think 
sometimes it's harder for the children to be coping with it because they're constantly, you know, on the phone to us and want to, you know, mm-hmm. you know remain in contact with us. I realize that the amount of time that I was with the children is such a small amount of time compared to all of those years before I had them and then all of those years that I'm going to be looking forward to with just my husband and into whatever we're going to be doing with that part of our lives. And so, you know, it's, it's just really important to have that small amount of time that you have with your children for as much, for as long as you can and for as intensely as you can. Because there's a lot of time out there when you can have your, and you're, you're a doctor now. You yeah. keep, you'll keep up your licenses and you'll always be able to go back and do that. Yes. Yes, I, I can. And I just want to say, um, I need my mom just as much now. As ever before, I yes. call her all the time for certain things. So you are so right on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's nice. It's nice to do that because I I know that um you know I I look at people who are going through the same same time that I'm going through right now in my life, and some people literally just move and really they're so far away from their from their kids like this little community we're living in right now they go off and travel in the summer to go visit family but for the most part they're just here and I thought I can't do that I'm doing it right now for four months and it's just I want to be around my children Uh they want to be around me and I don't really want to fight that you know I don't want to say that's it I'm done (laughs) you know so I enjoy that so anyway that's that's a little bit of a deviation but I think I think it all comes down to that decision that you have made that your career can wait your children can't I do think I mean as you say I think that it was also easier for me to make that choice because that's the choice that my mom made for me also Mm -hmm. and I just can't tell you the importance of my mom and my dad both of them but just in in the way that I parent, um, because I knew that um, mom, mom always chose us, and she wasn't the wishy-washy mom who let us do whatever we wanted. It's just that I knew that we were uh, the most important in her life, and she always made that effort for us to know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also, so I felt like with, if I felt like that if I continued to work and my husband continued to work. It's a little off the subject, but um, as a two-doctor family, we ought to have enough money to be able to get by fine. And so I felt like that my kids would see that I was choosing medicine just because I was choosing medicine and not because I needed that job for another reason. Like a single mom, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, she needs to go to work. And that child can appreciate that because that's what mom has to do to get food on the table. Mm -hmm. But in our situation, my kids were going to see that I was I was choosing to to keep this job that just gave me um, an identity mm-hmm. um, that that I must have somehow felt like I needed, mm-hmm. and I was choosing that over over them. Yeah, and yeah. so, but and my mom just played a big role in that. So as you play a big role in your your children. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Now tell me about um, your childhood where you grew up and, and what was that was like? Because you had started saying something about, you know, how you felt that your mom put you first all the time. So, Yeah, they sure did. Um, I grew up on a small farm it was in northern Indiana. It was a family farm. And dad worked two jobs. He worked as a meter reader. Mm-hmm. But his um, love was farming, as his, his dad and grandfather before him had done. But farming at that time, especially on a small farm, was not very... Um, financially rewarding so he had to get a job outside the home Mm -hmm. and then mom did have a job and then she stayed home to raise the children and and dad encouraged her in that so um we had a very loving family there were four girls and each one of us was supposed to be a boy (laughs) so that someone would take over the farm but (laughs) none of us did um and mom and dad always encouraged us to do our best, and they never encourage us to be the best. Um, I think sometimes parents encourage their children or try to make them be the best, mm-hmm. but our parents didn't do that. They just worked hard to make sure that we were doing our best, and um, I think that was significant also, you know, because I knew I would, in my 
in the split of making the decision of the, the path where it was splitting, I had to either, to do my best, I had to either, you know, stay home and take care of my kids or, or go and do my job properly. I wasn't doing the best at either one of those. Well, and it goes back to that old biblical verse, you can't serve two masters. I know that it does. I and like you've you've lived that. You've you've realized yeah. that. Yeah, I like that. That yeah. that has a good ring to it. So true. Yeah. But we had a very happy, contented family, and um, that's what I wanted to reproduce mm-hmm. for my children. That security, that warmth, um, that peace mm-hmm. that my parents were able to give us. I wanted to impart to my children, and hopefully even grow on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, it's like a it's it's kind of a heritage. You know that got passed down and you want to keep that going yeah absolutely now um you went to public school yourself i sure did yeah small yes. town was it small town small school? Uh-huh. it was a farming community yep yeah so yeah i always thought i always thought our kids would go to public school because i had a great education that prepared me well for pharmacy school and then medical school mm-hmm. so i just thought that's what we do but yeah. um things changed yeah yeah did you did you know anyone that um homeschooled as you were making this decision to homeschool were you in a community of homeschoolers i think we knew two families who homeschooled Mm -hmm. and to me they were unusual families yes so i never thought that we would homeschool that wasn't what we were doing yeah um yeah, so um, it just didn't look like our cup of tea. No, and it didn't look like my cup of tea either until I met somebody and I went, wow, my goodness, if homeschooling can look like that, then right. I can do that. And that's one of the reasons why I do this show because there are so many different people that are homeschool. There are. You know, all around the world for different reasons that you really can't. I did. I had a stereotype in my head of what a homeschooler and what homeschooling kids looked like. And people throughout our homeschooling career have said to us, you just don't look like a homeschooling family. <laughs> I had that in my head too. And so w- when we started homeschooling, I felt like we busted the stereotype too. That's right. That's right. It's the same as it's the same actually as being a Christian. You know, you think you think you're going to be this Bible waving Christian and it just doesn't it that's not particularly appealing to me and so that's not how I project myself as a Christian and so that works for me you know people don't come up to me and say oh no I'd never have taken you for a Christian I would hate them to do that but uh like they do with the homeschooling children but you know not that not not being too too pushy or or just being a normal family come on that loves god and and has has good christian values and with that terry we need to go on our first break and um, when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about um, nutrition and diets so we'll be back in just a moment how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling that's what we're working on now it's vivian mcninney the sociable homeschooler and we'll be right back after these Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I'm back and I'm talking to Dr. Terry Feitz this afternoon and we were talking about her decision to 
um, give up her medical career in favor of raising her family, which personally I think was the absolutely right thing to do, and I think Terry feels that way too. But Terry, you write about alternative medicine on your blog. Actually, we can backtrack a little bit here because I know that you said that you closed one door and God opened another door for you and mm-hmm. gave you another opportunity because you felt that being a doctor, it was wonderful being able to help people and you were going to be giving that up for your small family, which of course is, is more important, I think, than helping lots of people, helping your small family. Mm-hmm. Tell us um, about that, about your blog and how that started. Well, that started um, as we made some diet changes to try to fix some minor health problems in our family. We were having some seasonal allergies where the kids were each on three medicines piece for their allergies and still not controlled. And we had some gastrointestinal issues that they were on medicines for that still weren't being controlled. And um, also we had some asthma medicine. So we had tons of prescriptions just nickel and diming us. Mm. And so I started reading online uh, about ways to address these besides ways that I knew of. Mm-hmm. And it kept coming back to diet. And I thought, this is just crazy. Diet doesn't make any difference except in diabetes and heart disease and certain kinds of kidney failure where we have to limit protein or something like that. But mm-hmm. it just doesn't matter what we eat. I, I don't. I just don't know what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. So I decided to give it a little challenge. So I told my family, well, we're going to try this for three months. We're going to try eating this way for three months. And then within a month, I would say that all the girls were off of their allergy medicine. And we did this in the spring. Mm-hmm. So, um, And then uh, the gastrointestinal medicines were also being able to be shed. Um, some of the asthma inhalers were able to go too. So I saw quickly that diet does make a difference and I was so fascinated that I just had to read and read and read and read. I haven't stopped reading yet. Mm-hmm. So you weren't, this This didn't come into any of your medical training that diet was an important no, part never. of what was going on. You were told, you know, which medicines interact unfavorably That's with right. each other and that kind of thing, but not, you know, if you eat dairy, then you really shouldn't no, be taking that this. Never, yeah. No, never, ever came up. The, maybe the most is ketogenic diets and epilepsy that's where you limit all forms of carbohydrates that would be the most that it ever came up and that wasn't even really you know that was kind of experimental and not that well known so no mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're too busy eating our donuts and drinking our coffee and yeah, stuff I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know and you know sometimes I think well I feel fine if I don't eat well um, I feel just the same when I do eat well but that's not really the case because I mean I I eat naturally I crave fruits and yogurts and um, not the donuts and the sweet things but on the other hand I have actually I do have a child that only really eats pancakes and donuts and that kind of stuff and she's not fat or anything she just doesn't like the other food particularly no matter how much I try to get her to eat it but eventually I'm sure there are issues that (laughs) she will go, okay, maybe I do need to change the way And she may, because that describes me. I've always been uh, thin and athletic, mm-hmm. didn't matter what I eat, mm-hmm. I could put it away, and I would always stay the same and, mm-hmm. and um, pretty much felt the same. And then it seemed like about 35 things just started catching up with me mm-hmm. and um, and starting to knock me down, and I never would have considered food Ever, ever. Well, and especially if you've lived a long time eating that way, um, you might just go, oh, well, that's the way everybody feels when they wake up in the morning, and that's just the way I feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said, you know, you, you feel a little bit fuzzy or, um, <laughs> you know. You do. Yeah. You, yeah. You're, you're just that clarity is just not there, and, and your GI tract is sluggish, yeah. or maybe it's irritable bowel or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it's so socially acceptable to depend completely on grains. And all of us know that food pyramid that they're trying to phase out, but it's been there for so long. Mm-hmm. And in everybody's mind, the bottom of the pyramid is grains. And so they just tank up on uh, toast in the morning for breakfast. And then at lunch, they'll have, you know, more bread product with some chips, which is a green product. And then, for supper, they'll have maybe some spaghetti or pizza, which, again, is grain. So they're getting so much grain 
and not so many fruits and vegetables that are just so important for us. Mm-hmm. So let's talk then about um, your research that you've been doing on, on diet and food and how it f- does fit in with um, a medical doctor's um, job, role, and the, how it, it isn't fitting in because you just aren't doing aren't aren't, you know sort of um, looking at the whole body that's a different group of doctors out there those holistic doctors and they really don't meld with the medical doctors so Mm -mm. let's talk a little bit about that because I know now that probably when you go back to being a doctor you will be a completely different doctor to the one that you were before you left I am and in fact sometimes around our friends I just try to keep my mouth shut because I just know that there's there's no way we could have a conversation about some of the things that I've learned mm-hmm. so um yes. so give me an example then of something that um surprised you that you've always just taken for granted and it surprised you when you started to do your own research about what we normally eat and what we've been told not to eat Well I've mentioned one in and that is the reliance on grains and how we are told that grains, whole grains, are good for us. And I'm, I'm not going to say that they're not. I'm not. There are people who are absolutely gluten free or absolutely grain free, and I don't. I'm not. I'm not one of those. Mm-hmm. I see the pros and cons of both sides, but it had never dawned on me that you could live without grains. Mm-hmm. I, I just never had. So when I read that. There were people doing grain-free diets to try to improve their health. I, I, was, I was shocked, appalled, and um, I had to sit there and go through all the, the nutrients and grains and compare them to the other foods that were available, vegetables, meats, um, oils, and just sit there and figure out, can you really live without grains? And um, yeah, you can. You do not have to have grains to, to, to get good nutrition. Um, so that was one that really blew my mind was that we don't have to have grains to live and they're at the bottom of our food pyramid. Yeah. Um, that was definitely one. And so you gave up. Um, what did you give up in your diet? What did your diet look like when you, um, after a month, noticed that your girls were no longer needing their allergy medicines? What had you done? Initially, we went gluten-free and dairy-free. And gluten means no grains. And um, gluten just means no, um, mostly no wheat, but there is also um, gluten in other grains um, as well, like barley and rye. So gluten-free, dairy-free is somewhat of a fad diet now, right now, Mm -hmm. or um, really into gluten-free, dairy-free. And so... And I made that same mistake also when we transitioned. I just took out gluten and I took out dairy. So gluten would be um, anything with wheat protein. You have to sit there and read the labels because they inject it into cold meat. They inject it into um, all kinds of things that you wouldn't expect. Okay. But So when we went gluten-free, dairy-free for the first three months, then my kids got a lot better. But I was substituting with all kinds of processed foods just to simply replace the way we were eating before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, something about that didn't sit right as I kept reading. And I realized, no, really what we need is a whole foods diet, mm-hmm. real food. Mm-hmm. And then we need to watch for food reactions and food intolerances. Mm-hmm. Not true allergies. Allergies would be anaphylaxis, but just reactions in their gastrointestinal tracts and reactions in their allergies and reactions in, in eczema and skin rashes. Mm-hmm. And so I kept on our counter, I kept a notebook, um, like a three, uh, a binder with just paper in it, and I'd write down what we ate, and then I would write down any reactions that the kids were having. And um, so that's, I guess that's how we kind of transitioned to where we're at now. So we started gluten-free, dairy-free, and we used all the processed foods that everybody else used, which I think is is detrimental and is not beneficial. Mm-hmm. But it's a step. Mm-hmm. And then um, we took that to a whole foods diet where we just now recognize that we have some sensitivities to um, gluten and dairy and, uh, you know, some other foods and different family members here and there. Well, tell me about dairy-free, because that kind of goes, oh, I drink almond milk. 
Mm-hmm. So that's not dairy, is it? No, that's no. not dairy. No. So what about you? You're talking about fermented dairy is okay. Well, it just depends on the person. Um, some people, and, and that's I guess that's what I really learned is that every person is unique. Okay. And and whether it's because they were born that way or whether they just picked up these um, idiosyncrasies. Uh, throughout their life based on what they eat or their environment or infections they got. I don't know why, and I'm not sure anyone can tell us why, but um, by the time you've reached our age, you've probably picked up some food intolerances that you didn't know about, and kids may have too. So some people will do really well with dairy that has been fermented, okay. um, or they'll do really well with raw milk, which we don't do just because of our fear of bacteria, yeah. um, or they'll do... Um, or they won't do, or they'll do well with butter, okay. but they won't do well with milk. So it just, it's it's so variable, and you really just have to keep that notebook that I talked about and watch closely. So cheese is considered dairy. Cheese is dairy. Yes. Okay. How do you manage without cheese? <laughs> you can. You know what? When God moves your cheese, <laughs> like He did mine, because I tell you, I was a real foodie. And I, I don't know, you know, if this was God's way of saying, you know, I'm taking control over one more area of your life. I don't know if that's what he wanted or if he, I don't know what path he's leading me down with this, but I do know that um, we enjoyed eating and we did enjoy cheese and pastries and, well, and all those things. I, I can understand Americans, you know, being able to give up their cheese, but, you know, in England and France, the oh, cheese is yeah. amazing. I, so. I, no, from we from visits there, yes. <laughs> There's no way. Well, but I mean, we don't eat a lot of cheese anyway. But I was just just wanted to know what exactly was dairy because I immediately think, oh my gosh, everything I eat is probably yeah. dairy. Well, you know, and you have to be careful because a lot of things they put whey protein in. I bought some chopped garlic oh. once, and it was me. I'm the most sensitive in our family to dairy, and I read the label on that chopped garlic just because, and there was whey, which is a dairy protein, mm. yeah, and so. You know, who would have thought to look in your chopped garlic for milk? I know. Uh, I know. Manufacturers are putting they're putting wheat protein and dairy protein in things that they just shouldn't be mixed that way. Yeah, it makes it difficult for you to cut things out if they're snuck into foods that you don't imagine it's going to be in. All right, we um, let's talk then a little bit about fat, saturated fat, and you know, I always think how our grandparents ate and you know you you grew up on a farm and you you've got family grandparents um who were farmers and you know people ate really well meat and two veg and they, we used to have the yorkshire put in the gravy and i know my husband's family would have like the creamed corn and peas and there's all this fat i mean we would eat the crackling the fat yes, off a pork true. roast <laughs> well they don't even sell it with that no. on it anymore and i think gosh that was the only fat i actually could eat as a child didn't like it off beef but i could eat it off off pork so, you know, what's you going on? Vivian? Yeah? Yeah, you ate cracklings? Yes. <laughs> yes. I yes. mean, that was the best true. thing. You know, it would be scored yes. on the joint and salt yep. rubbed into it. And <sighs> Anyway, those were the good old days. And now right. we're told, nope, no animal fat. Vegetable oil is the best thing. Yes. Tell us we, about that. We, we are told that. And I think... And that's that's what I believed also. And then when I started doing my research, I realized, wow, um, these alternative alternative sites making commentary have some good points here. And then I started um, reading more and trying to follow these points. And I realized, wow, you know what? Uh, conventional medicine is starting to come back around to this too within the last five years. So you are now starting to find research and doctors who are now saying, no, we got it wrong. And you can look on the BBC and you can look on Fox and you're starting to see articles about how we do need saturated fat Mm -hmm. and that um, the research before was uh, skewed. And so um, and basically not correct. So we do need saturated fat, but it's just now coming and it takes forever for things to trickle down the pipeline. And so I feel like the, um, the general public is not hearing this. Mm -hmm. 
it's it is out there and I can find it now and my husband pulls it up and shows it to me all the time now because he's being led down this path through me he never would have gone there yeah um so he you know now when he sees when I when I have told him things and then he sees it later and just general um, information and he likes to show it to me and say look we're we're gosh we're really um we're really on the edge here yeah yeah That's exciting for us to say oh yeah you know we're learning this and it is out there it's just not common knowledge yet yeah At, well, um, the go ahead no i was i was just going to say it's that maybe not eating saturated fat is going to become an old wives tale <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the the thing with vegetable fats though is that they have been heated um to a high level of heat to be processed mm-hmm. and so that changes some of the conformations of the structures of the fats mm-hmm. and then they are not used properly in our cell membranes the way they should be and this can cause damage and they're also easily oxidized when they're sitting on the shelf so the vegetable fats that are liquid like that that are processed under high heats um, are detrimental whereas the saturated fats are much more stable and they don't oxidize and so when they are worked into our cell membranes then they um, they are done so more correctly. I guess that's an oversimplification, but, but that's the way to think about it. Well, and, and my listeners need to go to um, Terry Fight's site, um, the, homeschool doc, the homeschooling doctor that I have linked, and um, read more because you've written a lot about this, this kind of thing, Terry. And I would say, what would you say um, to people who are trying to wade their way through you know you can eat this you can't eat that the alternative medicine you know there's two sides to all these stories one thing you said that I got from this conversation was everybody's an you know we're all individuals we're all unique and uh, food affects us in different ways so there's no blanket you know don't eat this or don't eat that so find out for yourself and what about doing the research how how do we do that I would say if you, um, for example, say you say you wanted to try going dairy free. Mm-hmm. That's just something. Oh, I think I need to try going dairy free. I have this horrible cough. I've read that going dairy free will take care of this cough. I think the thing to do then is to, um, you know, take whatever it is that you've read that made you interested in that, and then then flip it and so search for something completely opposite opposite of that so why maybe google something like why shouldn't i go dairy free or why is going dairy free bad Mm -hmm. and then i think you read both sides of the story and then you can come up with a middle ground having read both the good and the bad the pros the cons um the benefits the negatives and you'll have a better picture than if you just pick one person who says i need to do this this is what i need to do um then i think you could be led astray but but just always trying to find that middle ground and see what both sides of the story have to offer, mm-hmm. then you're more likely to succeed and be more objective than if you just jump on a bandwagon. And find a, pri- a primary caregiver who um, can combine the medicine with the holistic. That, that is ideal. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot. There aren't enough of them out there, but they are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, um, their titles would be like functional medicine, functional medicine doctor, okay. or um, an integrative medicine doctor. Those are usually conventional MDs who have kind of gone down this track that I have and maybe even um, had further formal training to get those wow. types of fellowships. Okay, well, that's interesting. All right, one last question before we um, say farewell. You said that there were four girls in your family and each one of them should have been a boy or not all four of them, but each one was hoped yes. for as a boy to take on the family farm. So what's stopping one of you girls from taking on the family farm? Would you like to do that? I think that we would like to have what the farm has to offer. But I, as far as making a livelihood off of that, I think that's a lot of hard work. We've yeah. seen what dad does, and he's yeah. just amazing with all the work he puts into that. Um, but as far as going back to Indiana and, and living on that land that we were raised on, I think every single one of us girls just would love that. We, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what did you do? Did you have, did you have cattle as well as um, crops? Uh, we had pigs when I was 
young and then pigs turned um, down and the price went down. And so dad got out of pigs and then he had some cattle and then crops. So I think another thing that I had to wrap my mind around was the fact that I'm a farmer's daughter and I, um, and I don't eat many grains and I realize that some people are sensitive to grains and maybe shouldn't eat them at all. So that's really hard. Um, because that's my dad's livelihood. Yeah. Of course, on the other hand, before I made this transition, I didn't really eat meat, not because I was vegetarian or vegan. I just didn't like it. Yeah. And, um, so all I ate was grain. So, <laughs> so, and he was an animal farmer. So, I, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah. But, um, so it didn't put you off that kind of life, that quieter, more no, no agrarian life. Oh, no, just feeling the ebb and flow of the seasons. Yeah. Um, was was fulfilling, and yeah. my husband and I both love that. And we try to go home um, certainly at least every harvest, yeah. um, so the kids can feel that yeah. environment. It's a lot of fun. Well, Terry, it's been an absolute delight and um, we've come to the end of our time together. I've been talking to Dr. Terry Fides, a stay-at-home and homeschooling mom to three amazing daughters. A fourth child is on the way and she's doctor's wife to her high school sweetheart. They've been married for 17 years and her husband fully respects and encourages her decisions to give up doctoring for the much more rewarding job of raising their children um, to be emotionally, spiritually, psychologically and physically healthy. When Terry took the plan, God granted her a new outlet to serve and help others, and it's her blog. Um, I've got it linked on my Toginet show page and on my website, The Sociable Homeschooler, and it's thehomeschoolingdoctor.com. So go and read all about what happens when a medical doctor becomes a stay-at-home homeschooling mum. It's amazing. Thanks, Terry, for joining me this week and sharing your skills and life with us and encouraging other mothers who may be hesitant about giving up their careers for some of the reasons you shared with us. You have a lovely weekend. Thank you very much. You too. Bye. Goodbye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I'm back and I'm going to have to go and check out some of Dr. Terry Fight's recipes and food intolerances to see if I can get rid of my fuzzy head. We homeschoolers just jump in and take on anything that can be taught or shared. I can remember taking the task of teaching my children how to drive. I taught all four of them, brave woman that I am. Some were easier than others, but today I drive with all of them, if I really had to. My youngest insists on driving when we're together because she has such a good sense of direction and enjoys being behind the wheel instead of answering my questions of where to turn next, which exit to take, and host of other inquiries I have when she's in the car with me. I use her as my personal sat-nav, which in America is a GPS, but she'd far sooner be behind the wheel. And I didn't learn to drive until I was 24. Why should I? I lived in London all through my late teens and early 20s, and it was easy, crazy, crazy, crazy to maintain a car in the city when it was easy to get around with all the public transportation going on. My father had put his car on blocks outside our London house for several years, literally taking it off the road. So I'd had a good example of how to get around by tube, train and bus. I read recently that the best way to make your car last is not to use it. And my father kept his cars for a long time and still 
still only had 28,000 miles or some such ridiculous number on them at 20 years old. I think the furthest he drove one of them was to Italy and back. The rest of the time it was a strictly Sunday afternoon drive car. My brother inherited both Fords, the Corsair, which we had in Beirut, and I think it's still in his garage in London, and the Granada. I was too far away to be offered a car besides the driving wheels on the wrong side for America anyway. While we were in London last year, although we had a garage at the flats and a place in the front driveway to park, and Dortz sometimes felt that the extra effort needed to haul herself around the corner to the bus stop was too much to endure while she lived with us, I didn't think the expense of a motor car was worth it, except perhaps in the winter, but then it may have been more trouble than it was worth, because then everybody would be on the road in a downpour, or not in the snow probably, but definitely in the bad weather, and there's a surcharge to enter the city. We're better off really on a train. I wish we could use public transport more in America, and where we are at the moment, we'd be lost without a car, although I do use my bike for short jaunts, getting eggs from the farmer's wife or visiting the country store at the top of the road until a dog started chasing me. The closest big town is 10 miles away, and I'm sure my bike would make it, but the round trip could take all day, and I don't know if my body would make it. So back to getting my original driving license, which was issued when I was 24 and was valid until 70, or to be more precise, the day before I turned 70. The license itself was just a sheet of paper with no accompanying photograph, and when I dug it out recently, I read the small print on the bottom and found that I needed to notify the Driver Vehicle Licensing Agency in Glasgow of my new address, which I dutifully did. Back in the mail came a letter informing me that I now had to fill out a more complicated form and provide all kinds of proofs of ID along with a photograph for a brand new plastic driving license that would double as a form of ID, a job that it had never had to do before because it was just a mere slip of paper without an identifying photograph. Plus, we didn't have IDs in England when I was growing up, or at least not until just a few years ago. Things have changed in merry old, I thought, as I dug out my new fangled passport. It has a chip and a serial number that negated the necessity of sending in all my personal information, my birth certificate, my marriage license, proof of naval, and so on and so forth. All I had to do was write a few numbers in a box in black ink, affix a naff photograph of myself, I thought, so naff that when the real me presented herself for identification, she would probably bear no resemblance to the photographed me. I shakily signed my name in a small box with instructions that told me to stay within the lines. I panicked, and my signature ended up looking like a decrepit old lady's scratchings, and don't say anything. When my new and very portable form of ID arrived on the doormat, I examined it as instructed, and found it does indeed expire in ten years. What happened to the forever it has seemed like when I got my first one at twenty-four, valid until the day before I turned seventy? Ten years is not forever, and it'll definitely not take me to my seventieth birthday, or the day before. I was reminded of the permanent alien resident card I used to have, until the powers that be decided permanent was too much of a commitment to uphold for today's modern man. That was the second time documents of mine were reneged on in six months. I carefully placed my compact ID in my Vera Bradley wallet that goes on my keychain to replace my Texas license during my stay in England. Then I read the large piece of paper that came with the little ID, and it's called a counterfoil, and on it were printed instructions to keep it in a safe place with my license, since they would both have to be shown together in order to be valid. The one was no good without the other. So I quickly realized that my little wallet my handbag, and definitely the glove compartment of my car, which I don't have, remember, would not be considered safe places by the DVLA out of Glasgow. I took my English ID from out of my keychain wallet and placed it with its counterfoil, a large piece of paper that I had to fold very carefully, in my safe to be produced simultaneously at the authorities' pleasure when I needed it. I put my driving license back to be presented as ID if asked. Well, I've finished going on about life for another week. We're off shopping. I'm not fond of the local grocery shop here, but we're, gonna, we're going for more honey, so I'm excited. 
It's delicious when we've whipped it up, and once refrigerated, it spreads on those digestive biscuits wonderfully. Pop by and I'll give you one. Next week, I think we do a trip to the big city to get in some dog food supplies, gas for our soda stream, and more English food from the world market. Happy birthday to my Perry Poppins daughter. This weekend, she turns a quarter of a century. Where does the time go? Have a lovely weekend. I love you, and I'm not that old. Neither is your blue-eyed dad. Thank you for listening to the Sociable Homeschool. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my producer, Sabrina, my guest this week, Dr. Terry Fites, and you, my faithful listeners. Stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows on Toginet to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.